We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. to another edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I am your host, the season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we are here with Quarantine Podcasting 2, Electric Boogaloo. Chris, the COVID bug finally got you, huh? Yeah, I got tested <laughs> this morning. The uh, My landlord has a home, home test, so I took it and I passed. And I feel a lot better than I did earlier this morning. It's just like... Headache, body ache, that's it. Oh, so so you don't actually have the Rona? I have Corona. I've tested positive via home test. Oh, okay. Via but home I, test. All right. But like, I feel fine. Like I can, you, you, I can probably even with Corona, I could probably beat you in a forty-yard dash. <laughs> Folks, we have a packed podcast for you tonight. Joining us tonight, uh, Mr. Anthony Prohaska. Who I'm surprised that we allow him back on this show after the uh, all the pro silver linings playbook uh, the propaganda he was out here throwing around. Wow, that's hurtful. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited to be back. Um, disappointed that I couldn't come see the new studio setup because Chris has Corona. But I like how we were able to kind of circle the wagons and rally the troops. And you know, this is a tough moment, but it was cool that we could find you know the silver lining in it. And really just get down to the playbook of this episode and put it together and really just, you know, just decide uh, the right course of action as we move forward. Over, see, this is even over over Zoom, you can't see me seize. You, oh, it's happening. Know that it's happening. Now, Anthony, was it, this is what I love, Chris, about our relationship and just the dynamic we've cultivated over years of being friends and podcasting. You said you had coronavirus, and my first reaction was I burst out laughing. Like, we're not good people. No, no, we're we're not. No, we're not good. We're not good people. 
So I probably what? told you, and you, you probably told Larissa, your wife, you're like, Chris has corona. Good. He deserved it. <laughs> so, but but here's here's the interesting thing, Anthony. Uh, when you think about this, Chris is actually used to this dynamic. I know you are. You know, over at Disguise Coverage, you do all of your shows over Zoom uh, with the various personalities over at Cover One. Chris uses a similar mechanism to produce the After the Snap podcast for Reed and Blake Ferguson. Uh, multiple people in different places for both of you. I'm so I guess I'm the only one here that this is weird for. Yeah, you're the outlier. I'm I was say every time we I enjoy being in studio with you guys, but anytime you're like, oh, you know, we can only do it over Zoom or if I've got a schedule conflict, I can be like, hey, I can't make it in person. I can only do Zoom. Yeah, I'm very natural and in my element. So you would be you're the odd one here, unfortunately. Well, I don't like that Drew's not here because he sounds like shit. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> no, just, that's it. That's, I, a, I'm that's, using the, that's a producer. That a that's, a, that's a producer's thing. He sounds like shit like he's on a telephone. If he'd be over here, he'd have a $400 microphone to use. What I love is that I'm back in my garage, which is funny because this is now the second garage COVID quarantine podcast we've had to do in this show's history. But the last time we did this, it was in early April. Now it's mid-May. And even better, it's cutoff season, baby. Sun's out, guns out. Let's do this. I'm sitting here. I've got a cutoff shirt on. I've got a tall 24-ounce uh, tequila soda with lime. Chris, I'm actually sitting here drinking this thing, thinking because first of all, it's hot out, right? It's summertime in Buffalo. Uh, this is really refreshing. And it just made me think as I was making it, how like my life is so much easier than yours. You want a cocktail? You have to get out fifteen different apparatuses. You got you've got syrups Apparatus. flying around. You're shaving <laughs> fruit, like you're literally shaving fruit. And yet, I have liquor, ice, soda water, lime. It doesn't get any easier than that. I bet. Right? I, I bet I can make an excellent cocktail with. I probably go gin, some simple syrup, and what I'm drinking right here, Pedialyte. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I love it. So, folks, we've gotten everybody together tonight so we can talk about post-draft roster analysis and the second round of free agency. Now, Anthony, first of all, your thoughts on the draft. Hoorays, booze, something in between. Where do you fall in terms of your overall thoughts on the Bills draft class? Overall, I'm pleased with it. I had been banging the drum for a corner in round one. Um, even was a little <clears throat> lower on my board than several other corners, but I maintained during the entire offseason that he was a fit for this team based on the traits and the skill set that he had and the track record that the Bills coaching staff has had and squeezing blood from undrafted free agent cornerstones and uh, late round draft pick stones. And like, the thing I keep saying is, Kyrie Elam has a ton of blood to be squeezed from that stone. And I, I like the fit. I like what he's got going on between the ears, everything that we've seen from the behind the scenes stuff of how he prepares and how he pro approaches the game so professionally. So I like that pick. I like the addition of James Cook. I, I wanted a receiving threat. I wanted some sort of traitsy running back added to this group, whether it was speed, whether it was power, whether it was a receiving threat. Cook is a little bit of the speed factor mixed in with a dynamic receiving ability. So I like that. Um, love 
love Khalil Shakir. Um, that was a, a guy who I had pegged early on day three, who I even could have seen going in towards the back end of round three. So I thought the value was great and I love the fit. And I know you're super pumped that the Bills took a punter. Great value going with a pure special teams weapon. Yep, you're shaking. People can't see right now, but he should drew shaking his head. Yes, up and I'm down. Gonna, he loves it. He's I'm gonna throw this table. folding table. I swear to God, you listen, Greg Thompson has gone on record to say that nobody can get under his skin the way I do. Mm. You, there's very few guests we've had who can just with, and the thing is you, you just, you're in your way, you know, you're not, it doesn't come across like you're needling me, but you're needling me. I'd be like George Costanza in the coffee shop. George is getting angry. That's what I was going to say. George is getting upset. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was a good, um, but in all seriousness, I did, I did like the Ariza pick, uh, for what he does. And I think there were some more questionable things throughout it. You get a bunch of depth towards the back end. We'll see what Terrell Bernard can potentially become, but overall I thought they addressed a really good combination of fit plus need plus best player available. And we'll see what happens come season. But I think they addressed a lot of areas of need. I would have liked to see an interior offensive lineman. That's my real only gripe. I would have loved Dylan Parham instead of Terrell Bernard there in the third round, but we'll see what happens. Oh, we're going to talk about that pick. So how well do you think the team did using this draft class to address its depth issues for 2022? Yeah, considering this is a championship window, I mean, I understand that you're great on the draft as a whole. Like we talked about last week, you look at the draft as an opportunity. If you're a good franchise, if you're a good football team, you're using the draft not just for today, but usually for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You're paving a way to a cheaper roster in the future. You want you're not just looking for immediate impact, but this was a roster that had still had some needs some issues that needed to be addressed. How well do you think they address those with this draft class? If Kyrie Elam hits, I think it changes everything drastically one way or the other. That was Oh, for a, sure. Yeah. That was No, that, 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 no that's, an, that's a huge component of what we're going to talk about tonight. So I want to start with looking at this draft, just looking at the roster post-draft and seeing where we think the team might still, because I mean, we've got a couple weeks, there's always the second wave of free agency. There's guys that have held out, stuck to their guns on value. They're stubborn, but they still want to play the game of NFL football. Or there's guys who know what their value is. They've got a couple suitors and they're, they're basically playing the long game just to see who they want to sign with. And they don't want to practice. I mean, that's a dynamic, right, Anthony? Like there's guys who just don't want to go to OTAs. Oh, that's a, a real legit thing. It used to be when, when two-a-days were more <clears throat> intense, that's when you'd see guys like signing contract deals like the second week of August because they didn't want to have to go to training camp. They didn't want to have to do two-a-days. Yeah, that's a thought. For vets, that's a real thing. Like, I don't need to go to mini camp. I don't want to go to mini camp. I don't want to do training camp. I'll show up when the season starts. Yeah, that's a very real thing. Yeah. Well, and see, now the problem is, is that the days with uh, – Chris, who was the quarterback who was smoking in the locker room during the Super Bowl? The Raiders, Ken Stabler? Yes, like those days are over. You don't get to just like you, you have to be in peak physical condition by the time the NFL season gets rolling because the days of being good at your job while just be, kind of being a slob are over. But that doesn't mean that these guys can't slow play things. And so what you end up with is a really interesting mix, which we're going to talk about at the end of the show tonight as we look at the free agent market itself. But in terms of our roster, this defense, some groups that we feel best about, I, I think – I think the one I can put a gold star on right now is defensive tackle. 
Mm. Would anyone here fight me if I said defensive tackle might be the deepest, most complete group on the roster? No, I agree. If Ky- if Kyrie Elam hits, I could be persuaded to go in corner. But as we sit right now, I would agree. Yes, from top to bottom in terms of complete depth, I agree. It's defensive tackle. I mean, you take a look at what we have. You're talking about Ed Oliver, who really had a coming out party last year. He really started to flash down the stretch and started to find himself. You've put around him pieces now that where I don't I don't know before I want to say last year. Am I being too harsh by on last year's group by saying if anyone was going to flash at any point, it was probably going to be Ed Oliver? No, I think that's fair. I will say for Star, I think he looked like a force in the beginning of the year. And then whatever happened that kind of took him off the train tracks a little bit, but he was winning one-on-one matchups and he looked like him and Ed looked like they were going to tear the roof off of that year. And then star fell off and Ed continued. But yeah, I think that's a fair assumption there. So now you look at this depth chart and you're talking about, you've got some depth pieces that they kept around like Eli Anku. They liked him, uh, Brandon Bryant, uh, but those guys aren't even in the conversation of being on the starting roster when you've got Tim Settle, who some people talk about how he's just starting to play his best football in terms of a pro, which is what happens when you play for a team that's spent as many assets on their defensive line as the Washington football team did. Uh, Daquan Jones, who I don't know what to really make of Daquan Jones. What is his home? Is he Does he play the role of one tech here, even though he's probably a more natural three tech? I mean, because I saw that with Vernon Butler. Vernon Butler got kind of, I don't want to say square peg round hold, but they said, listen, you're big. You can eat space. Just go out there and be a big dude and do that. And he did okay with it. He wasn't great, but there was some games like the Steelers game back in 2020 where you saw him as just a wrecking ball against some teams, depending on the makeup of their line. Is Daquan Jones kind of that guy where he doesn't have a natural fit here? No, I think he's more of I think he has more of a natural fit at one tech, his ability okay. to two gap, his ability to plug the lane. Um, I that was honestly, I, I know the Von Miller signing is he's Von Miller and it's sexy and people are excited about OJ Howard and Tim Settle gets it too. I loved the Daquan Jones signing. We broke him down in the film room. Uh, Eric Turner had him as one of his free agent targets. We broke him down early in February, and he just fits from a scheme perspective what you're looking for for that run-stopping, one-tech role. But he also has versatility um, to give you some kind of pop in the pass rush. Um, But, yeah, strong at the point of attack, able to hold up on the line against double teams and get penetration at the same time. Um, I I think he's built to really succeed as the one-tech opposite Ed Oliver in this defense. So our defensive tackles are pretty much set. And then you talk about the safeties because that's Sean McDermott. That's his baby, right? Sean McDermott loves him some safeties. Again, you're talking if if there was any position group I say could rival in completeness, the defensive tackle group, it's the safety group. Uh, Our starters were top three in overall snap percentage last year, and they'll be returning. The two of them have been incredibly durable. They have three combined missed games in their five-year careers as Buffalo Bills. Uh, They're backed up by multiple draft picks who were handpicked by this coach and GM and have been groomed over the last few years to fit this system. And then they still have another kind of veteran presence in Saran Neal who can kind of moonlight as a slot corner, can play a little bit of weak side linebacker, can be an in-the-box safety and some some looks and sub packages. You have another group that uh, – who in the AFC East has a better safety room than the Buffalo Bills right now, Anthony? Oh, I don't – I don't even think it's just the AFC East. I think you could expand that to – 
the entire NFL. I mean, but with how strong Hyde and Poyer are at the top, they automatically put like the Bills' safety room ahead of a heavy majority of teams. Um, but the top to bottom piece is interesting. I think definitely in the AFC East, it's the Bills. I will say it is interesting to see like what what does that second line of support look like if if things came to a head because we know Hyde and Poyer are so strong and Jaquan Johnson has shown some flashes at times, but he has his limitations. Demar Hamlin you know, had a good camp and a good preseason, but we haven't seen him see real action, but he's a natural fit coming out of that Pittsburgh defense. And it's funny because like, I like Hamlin and I like Jaquan Johnson at the same time. I'm also like not confident if they had to take the mantle, but I also, I'm not disappointed or like too worried. It's a weird mix, but overall, especially from a mental perspective and a scheme fit perspective. Um, yeah. It's an interesting group that they put together and it's obviously carried um, at the top by the two all pro safeties and arguably the best safety tandem in the entire NFL with Hyde and Poyer. So beyond that linebacker, because I'm, as I'm going down my, Hey, these are the guys I feel great about. I hit the linebacker group and it's hard to feel bad about them. <laughs> It's similar to safety kind of where it's like it's top heavy and you know what you're getting at the top. And then there's some depth that's like good, but maybe questionable, but maybe good, but still questionable. Yeah. And but but I guess there's a caveat here, because I first of all, two of the top six players in terms of snap count on the entire team are returning. That's a good thing. Right. If you were the league's number one defense, you're returning two key cogs in that. When you look at the overall depth chart, the mix of like, like I said, I use ourlads.com because it's just nice. It streams everything in terms of left to right. You can see the entire depth chart and kind of know where everything stacks up. You're looking at this. You got Edmonds and Milano, Medikevich, who's your special teams ace, doesn't really play much. Andre Smith Jr. Terrell Dodson is actually the only one of these backups with any real starting experience. Mm-hmm. Markel Lee has a little bit of playing experience, but he's at the bottom of the depth chart. And beyond that, I don't know. There's just a lot of inexperience there. But early returns are good. I guess I was surprised to see them add Terrell Bernard with a third-round pick. That felt, I don't know, it felt like you were addressing a need you didn't have. And that's where this group gets a little shaky for me because we said a lot going into this that the one hole they have is at strong side linebacker. They don't have a natural fit for the Sam linebacker position. Tyrell Dodson isn't built to play it. Uh, Andre Smith, probably not built to play it. I, I don't know about Joe Giles Harris or Markel Lee, but it doesn't sound like they are either. They all sound like off ball linebackers, guys you don't want near the line of scrimmage because they're a little smaller, maybe don't hand fight as well. Maybe they get washed out on running plays pretty easily just because of their size. Um, I don't know. I thought with that, uh, uh, who was it? Who was the linebacker that Miami took? Channing? Uh, Channing Tatum, the actor from Step Up. No, no. <laughs> we don't need any more dancing movies here, Channing, all right? Channing, Channing Tindall from Georgia. We're not here to talk about any more dance movies, I swear to God. It, oh, see? Chris, are you seeing this? I've got a vein popping out in the side of my head. Yeah, like Randy Savage. Nice. Dream always rises to the top. The two of you are literally just Eiffel towering over me with these terrible references. I, it feels weird getting punked on your own podcast, and yet I'm gonna find the I'm gonna find the testicular fortitude to turn that uh, wrestlers like to throw around a lot, and I'm gonna I'm gonna plow ahead. That's what she said. 
there isn't a natural fit here for that role. Mm-hmm. And so when you had one who looks like he could be, they decided to take another guy who seemed to fit more of a Lana role. What do you make of that pick? And what do you think of this, the depth chart at linebacker as a whole? The pick is, and, and not because I, I love the position or I love the player. I am tremendously anxious and like, excited i guess to see what terrell bernard looks like in the preseason and training camp because this pick for a variety of the reasons you mentioned the bills needed linebacker depth they were a very top heavy group you've got Edmonds and you've got milano you know how good they are you know what they offer but like you said there's a whole bunch of question marks after that like dodson's the only real one who's got starting experience everyone kind of felt comfortable with aj klein being that special teams guy but you know that you know what his limitations are but he's a veteran he's started before you know what he offers if he comes in he goes and then after Edmonds and Milano before you take Bernard it's just a lot of question marks and I guess like some lower end depth but not high end depth and they take Bernard who like you mentioned is is built more into that Milano role and I'm interested to see where he he fits he's a very good blitzer he's a violent blitzer and his explosion his short area quickness he fills well in the run game. Um, but again, to your point, it's not with a physicality and like stop the gap type of m- movement. It's more like Milano. He uses agility to shed. He's not going to stack and two gap and keep an eye and shed and then make a play. He's going to elude and evade um, blockers that are coming around the line of scrimmage. And that's how he makes his play. So he fits more into the Milano role, which is odd because if anybody we would think would be gone next year between the two linebackers, it would be Tremaine Edmonds, not Matt Milano. So what does that mean for Milano going forward? Do they try to put some more muscle onto Bernard and maybe use him in a different way? If you're using him in those three linebacker sets, is it because you wanted someone who could add some pop, but also wouldn't be a liability in coverage. So maybe that's what they're looking for. I think there's a multitude of reasons for the pick. Some of those I just mentioned, but I'm excited to see what he looks like on the field so we can start to put it into actuality because he does some good things. I think a lot of the question marks around his game and that pick really come from like, what's his path to the field? And if you're taking him just for depth, that's cool. But did you need to take a depth linebacker in the third round when there was exactly. other potentially higher leverage positions and players still available? No, 100%. And I mean, you, you also have to think about it through this lens. I know our listeners love it when I grab a hold of a phrase like through this lens and then I just abuse the hell out of it for podcast after podcast. Now, when you look at the makeup of our division, you can't play base 4-3 defense without a Sam linebacker. And a few of our divisional opponents, specifically the ones who think that they can kind of dethrone us by using 12 personnel packages. I, that's that was the isn't that what Mike McDaniels was kind of known for in San Francisco was piloting this exotic running attack with super athletic fullbacks and tight ends in space and blocking, but also with pass catching ability. And then, at, oh, at the same time, the Patriots just spent a ton of money on two tight ends. You have to believe they're going to use those. There's going to be a lot more 12 personnel packages thrown at us. I, I just feel like that there's a hole here that it's nice that you think you can survive without it. But at some point, teams are going to force you into these situations and you have to have somebody who can man that role. It's the only reason I don't feel good about this linebacker group. Hmm. Behind them is the defensive end class. It sounds stupid hearing me say that I'm concerned about defensive end, considering all the capital the Bills have used in the position and the fact that we have a future 
Hall of Famer in the fold in Von Miller. But the fact remains, I think that there's room for more talent on the roster at the position. And if you're listening to this and you don't like it, sue me. It's my podcast. I'll do whatever the hell I want. Um, I, I just look at lack of proven depth because our starters are great. You know, you look at Rousseau, you look at Miller. By a statistical default, they're your one and two. Rousseau led the NFL in solo run stops by an edge player in the NFL last season. Uh, Miller was top three in pressures and pass rush grade. Beyond that, I don't know that there's anybody who's a lock to impact a game on a week-to-week basis. Uh, you got A.J. Epinesa, who I swear to God, before Jerry Hughes got signed this week to, to Houston, I was firmly on the bandwagon of get rid of Epinesa, bring back Jerry Hughes at all costs. I, I don't care. I don't care what it takes. He's got 38 career pressures and four sacks, which would make you think he's more of a run defender than a pass rusher. But he also has more missed tackles than anybody on the roster last season. He missed 30% of his opportunities. And his worst games were some of our biggest losses. That New England, that Monday Night Football, Indy. He got exposed for his lack of ability to contain against the run in those games where we looked the worst. I can't criticize Basham. Because in typical rookie fashion, McDermott didn't give Basham a ton of rope to hang himself with. Uh, we, we've all grown accustomed to that. I mean, Ramon Humber, for fuck's sake. That guy was stealing snaps from Matt Milano, and I still haven't gotten over it. But he made Milano earn the job. And who's to say whether that's the right track? I mean, you look at Milano's career and how his development panned out. Maybe it did. Basham's good against the run, had some success early as a deep rotational pass rusher, so maybe he'll take a jump in his second season. And then Shaq Lawson. People are excited about this guy, and I don't want anybody listening to this to think I'm shitting on him. But from Miami to Houston to the Jets, he's played for a relative who's who of shitty bottom feeders in the AFC. And what's disappointing is that for all of his opportunities, he didn't make much of them. Like, hey, you're the you're the guy here. There's nobody else. And yet he has nothing statistically to show for it. Uh, with the Jets, he played 30 snaps in at least 12 of his games and managed more than one single pressure in just three of them. When I when you hear that, Anthony, what goes through your head? Because <laughs> I know you're probably somewhat positive about Shaq Lawson, right? Eh, like, I, for, for, for what they're going to ask of him, which is going to be, more of a physical presence in setting the edge versus the run. Maybe he has some pass rush pop and upside, but even when he was at his strength with the bills, he wasn't a pure pass rusher. He was more the physical guy setting the edge. If he got to the quarterback, cool. And if he did, it was because he was grinding and he was physical. He wasn't this guy coming with pass rush plan and technique and moves. So I think for what my expectations are very tempered with him. I don't think he's going to come in and suddenly become the high upside player that he was projected to be coming out of Clemson. I think what we saw from him with the bills is his ceiling. And if that's what it is, that's fine. Isn't that all Clemson? Isn't that all Clemson defensive line players? Christian Wilkins is pretty sick. Christian Wilkins is sick, but how many have been drafted early? Daquan Bowers. um, Oh, uh, injury injury stuff. Injury. Degenerative knee thing. That's fair. Shaq Shaq Lawson. Clown Farrell. Yes, Farrell. Farrell. How many times can the Clemson trick people into drafting guys in the top 60 and have them just not pan out before teams just stop doing it? I don't know. Apparently a lot because they keep churning out talent and they keep getting drafted. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what we get with loss. And I think it, you hit it though. Like it's, you got to temper your expectations. And I would hope, I would hope 
Bills fans aren't coming in being like, man, Shaq is going to turn out double digit sacks and he's going to be that other force on the edge from a passer's perspective. No, I, I don't, I don't see that. And I think it's very fair to have questions about this group because Gregory Rousseau had a great year last year against the run. Like you mentioned, his pass rush ability is still very much a project and still very much in question. The best pass rusher on this bill's defensive line, other than Von Miller is Ed Oliver. And I don't know who the next best edge rusher is after Von Miller. It is a complete toss up. Could it be? That's why I wanted Jerry Hughes back. That's why I wanted Hughes back because I said, listen, Hughes, maybe he's old. Maybe he's long in the tooth. Maybe he's missing his, his, he had missed tackles, right? He was second on the team in missed tackle percentage. But Epinesa doesn't give anything else on the other side where Jerry Hughes still has a very good pass rush win rate. His pressures are still very high. He's still being productive. Epinesa doesn't give you that. And so now you got to go in here looking at your top five defensive end prospects going, I don't know what you guys are. I don't know what you are. And I don't know. I mean, we saw some of it. Go back to that Kansas City game. You're inches away, just inches away from making difference, making plays. And Patrick Mahomes just manages to step over this guy because he's a touch too slow. He gets by this guy because the guy doesn't have a solid pass rush plan, but he got into the backfield and Mahomes just sidestepped him. You lose games like that because you don't have depth at this very critical position who who have an expectation to be able to pitch in in those moments. I feel like we've just kind of shuffled deck chairs there. We got younger, but I don't know that we got better. I think that's fair. It there's a there's a large question at edge after Von Miller. Like what are you what are you going to get in year three from AJ Epines? What does Gregory Rousseau look like in year two? What does Carlos Basham look like in year two? I I still don't even know what to think with Basham. I wasn't high on him coming out. I think his his ceiling is what Shaq Lawson was when he was here before he left as a free agent. And I would love to see him you know, progress with his pass rushing ability. But I think his upside is lining up on the inside shoulder of offensive tackles and maybe giving you some interior rush, but mainly just being a physical guy on the edge, a la Shaq Lawson and seeing what he offers you there. And again, like you mentioned with Epinesa, he looked great last year in training camp and in the preseason technique and hands and clearance. And then it just didn't really translate in the regular season. I think it's very fair to question this position grouping because again aside from von miller everything is question marks and now some of them are a little more positive and a little more optimistic than others but if you if you had to put your money right now on another solid pass rush effort aside from von miller on the edge you literally could pick from like three four guys you don't know and to your point with jerry hughes for as much flack as he gets because he didn't have a lot of sacks, yada, yada his pass rush productivity and his pressures per snap percentage were up there in the NFL. He did not get a lot of pass rush snaps compared to the top guns in the NFL. And he produced with pressures. I know they didn't lead to sacks, but pressures are still a good thing. And he was by far, by far the most consistent and productive bills pass rusher last year, especially from the edge. And with him being gone, you got Von Miller. So that upticks the group, but there's a lot of questions for everybody that comes after him. On the whole, does this look like a depth chart right now? That's fairly complete to you. From like including all the backups. Yeah. 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 If you want to compare this year's depth chart on defense to last year's heading into training camp, do you think this is the type of group that can go out there and once again, challenge for a, as a top five defensive unit in the NFL, given what they have, 
what they don't have, uh, what their weaknesses are, and how the players that are on the roster kind of meld together to make up for them. Yeah, I think they still they're still a quality unit. And they can still put a top five defense together. I, I think they're top heavy in several positions more than I would like them to be, but you could also make the case that they're top heavy because those dudes at the top are just so good that they're going to be top heavy no matter what. They've got quality starters at every single level of the defense and every single, honestly, position of the defense. And then the depth pieces behind them, some of them have question marks and some of them you are wondering what they're going to be able to provide on a consistent basis. But at the very least, you've got enough of those pieces in depth to be able to mix and match. And that's where Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier come in. I don't think any position really has someone holistically from a depth perspective that's like, well, if so-and-so goes down, we can we can put Timmy in and Timmy's going to be great. But what you do have is a bunch of guys that you can patchwork together to fill in for anything or use as chess pieces. And I think that's where the strength of this team lies. And I have faith in McDermott and Frazier to be able to get the best out of everybody and put them into positions of success. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so that brings us to the offensive side of the football. Another year, another season where the Bills have just one singular first-round pick playing on their offense. Chris, this is why I wish I was in the studio with you, because I would have you play that drop of Will Ferrell screaming at the top of his lungs, Hey, Brandon, how dumb do you think I am? Like, yeah. What the hell is going on here? I, I, I'll say this. If 2020 and 2021 have taught us anything, it's that this offense is probably still going to have the ability to absolutely roast some of our competition, specifically those bean eaters up north and those jerks in the Midwest who like barbecue sauce. It's glorified ketchup. Yeah, that's right. I said it. I, I'll, in fact, I'll, outside of Q42's Kansas City style sauce, I'm not touching Kansas City barbecue sauce. And if anything, that's more of a credit to Iman over Q42 than anything because Kansas City sauce, when you think about what it is, Chris, do you know what I'm talking about? Like Casey Masterpiece barbecue sauce. Hey, Anthony, are you familiar? No, just I've, I've probably had it at some point, but not to holistically familiar. So, so you're not, Chris, do you know what I'm talking about? Kansas City compared to Memphis style, compared to Carolina style. I've had KFC Masterpiece <laughs> before. Obviously, I've Lived in some poor areas of Georgia where that's like a real thing. Carolina, we know, is a mustard-based 
barbecue sauce and that's about it but there i know there's like you have like your kansas city you have your st louis you have your carolina and they're all different the, the problem i have with kc sauce is that it's thick and it's sweet and it takes so much away from the flavor profile of the meats and the rubs you use which i thought was the whole point of barbecue i mean at that point just go eat the sauce you fucking losers I, I hate that I hate that city. I, the best ribs, Kansas City style ribs. You can all kiss my ass. I, the sauce sucks. Your ribs suck. All right, maybe the tequila's kicking in here. Man, a twenty-four ounce tequila soda might not have been a great idea for a podcast. What well, is nice either way, outside? Either way, I got a whole handle of it here, so we're gonna see how how this goes. See, Chris, again, this is why I can't be left alone. I need to be in studio. I can't just be a podcaster out here in the fucking wild. Yeah, well, it's nice out. You got the garage open. Sun's out, gun's out. What better drink to have than tequila? Tequila, I'm going to end up mooning my neighbor. It's going to be hilarious. (laughs) I'm waiting for that. But so when you think about it, the Bills offense has plenty of firepower to go around. But there's some holes here, and it's not the finished product. I think some people assumed it might be after the draft. Uh, The groups I feel best about, first of all, quarterback. That goes without saying, but I think it's worth noting. Okay, last year you made the you made the decision to bring in Mitch Trubisky. Now he was a quarterback who was a former Pro Bowler, who led his team to six wins in the NFL the previous season, played in a playoff game. You could do a lot worse in terms of backup quarterbacks, right? Yeah, I think with Trubisky, he kind of. Not that anybody's going to fit the athletic profile of Josh Allen, but he was a guy who you, who could function in that world with his mobility and with his legs. And there was some upside or some type of reconstruction that you could do for him with his career, given, you know, his talent and the upside. And again, you could no disrespect to the Bears organization or, or Nagy over there, but you could put for as much of the failure of Trubisky in Chicago is on Trubisky. A lot of that is around the coaching staff and just what oh, happened there in, in so many ways. Um, so I th- yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think it's interesting. So when you think about how he failed and he came here as kind of a reclamation project, mm-hmm. but he had experience winning football games in the NFL mm-hmm. and he's had experience playing at a high level in the NFL. I think it's interesting to see that the team traded, not just like, hey, we went out to the market and found a guy who was a rehab, a project. I mean, I saw some quarterbacks being talked about in free agency where they said, hey, if we're going to lose Mitch, here's another quarterback whose career is kind of in a lull that would make a nice depth piece who could sign here, rehab his image and go out and hit the market again next year. Instead, the team opts to trade away draft capital to go get Case Keenum. Mm. And why that's interesting to me is because he does not fit the athletic profile of Josh Allen, Hmm. which makes me question what they anticipate the makeup of this offense being. It seems like they're almost going towards a more pass heavy approach, right? If you're bringing in that guy to be your backup in a championship window, you're saying, I don't need the veteran mentor anymore. I mean, they did bring back Matt Barkley who kind of was that role while he was here, but they never, they would have never trusted him to air it out during a football game. If he ever had to come in, they would have played it almost more possession type football, leaned on their defense, leaned on some of the stuff the running backs and their short passing game can do. Case Keenum has a history of throwing the football. Well, throwing the football well to Stefan Diggs too. I mean, let's, let's not discount that. I think that this is the, their idea is that if Josh Allen goes down, the show doesn't stop. 
right? The show keeps going. We're going to be a pass heavy attack and we want to know that we have a quarterback who can pull it off. I find that interesting. Don't you? Yeah. And I find it interesting. And I liked the move. Keenum is a good locker room guy, the type of guy that you want in your quarterback room because of how long he's been around and his ability to help in the preparation piece, the in-game action. Like that's a guy who, I want next to me looking at the tablet, diagnosing coverages and going over plays and reads and progressions and all that stuff. And to your point, if he has to step in, you know, he's got championship game experience with taking that Minnesota team to the NFC championship against the Eagles. We know he's got a familiarity with Stefan Diggs. We know that he can sling the ball a little bit. We know he can run play action. We know that he's got a good head on his shoulders. And then you combine it with some of the physical ability that he still possesses. You could do a lot, a lot, a lot worse at the backup quarterback position than Case Keenum. And exactly your point, the fact that they went out and got him, like they went after him and traded assets for him means they value him and they value that role and that position. And I like the move a lot. Like the, obviously this position group is top heavy with Josh Allen, but I think Case Keenum is a real quality backup because he offers you some legitimate game winning ability um, as a backup if he has to step in, but what he offers off the field, all that prep work, during the week leading up to game time than what he offers you in game, I think it's going to be really, really, really helpful for Josh. So then the offensive line, mm. this is by, 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 it's by and large, the most athletic offensive line combination we've seen in decades. Uh, Bates was one of the top rated pass protectors with a minimum of 300 snaps in the NFL last season. Uh, our offensive tackles did a decent job last year, and right tackle should improve as Brown goes into his sophomore season. Now that he's seen what NFL action is like, he's got a full off season to just focus on his own improvement. Cromer, as you've done so many shows over there at Disguise Coverage and Cover One, outlining all the ways Cromer's offensive line coach helped maximize their offensive line's contributions. Not to mention the fact that they went out and got veteran depth. Bucker, Questenberry, Manns, they have guys who have started a lot of football for a lot of other people. We're no longer relying on projects and bottom feeders. That's what I find most impressive about this group. Cause I can still remember the days when our offensive depth chart was so thin that any injury to the offensive line would have us signing street free agents and putting them on the field. I don't know if anybody remembers, but that's how Richie Incognito got his first stint here in Buffalo. It came just a week after getting cut by the Rams, after he got kicked off the field and kicked out of the game by his own coach, Steve Spagnolo. I was watching the game when it happened. He took back-to-back personal fouls in a game that they the, the Rams were terrible and they were once again getting their heads kicked in. And he had enough. He was just pissed off. And everyone knows that guy's a little crazy. He's a loose cannon. Okay. So they pulled him out of the game after his second personal foul, and he gets into an argument with the offensive coaching staff. So that Steve Spagnolo saying, you know, I'm in charge of this team and I'm going to go show him. And Richie Incognito takes his helmet off and throws it at him and had to be held back by multiple players from just killing him. Because Steve Spagnolo, you've seen him, Anthony. He's not a big guy. He's a little guy. So that happens. And he's laughing as he's walking off the football field, knowing like my career here for the shitty football team is over. Less than a week later, he's playing in a Buffalo Bills uniform. That's how bad our offensive line. Yeah. <laughs> That's how bad that room was. And so it's just coming from that, 
life experience and seeing where we are now. Would you agree? This is again, one of the deeper parts of our football team. I think overall for the entire offensive line. Yes, there's depth. When you look at what they have holistically for each starting spot. Yeah. I I do have questions with, you know, we, you hope that Spencer Brown can make that jump. Um, I, I really like Mitch Morris, Deion Dawkins, when he hopefully is not stricken with COVID, will be back to the Deion Dawkins that we are used to being a pillar over there at left tackle. I like the Roger Saffold signing. Um, and I do like Bates as well. Although overall for this position grouping, the offensive line, I do have questions at interior offensive line. Bodker coming back from that Achilles injury. What does Cromer get out of Cody Ford? How does Ryan Bates look as a full-time starter with a lot more sample size? How does Roger Saffold um, play into the fold? And what does he look like with this team? I have more confidence in him. Um, But then after that, even with that holistically on the interior, there's not a lot of depth for, for me, for, from a starting caliber perspective that I'm confident in right now. And that's part of the reason why I wanted Dylan Parham in the third round instead of Terrell Bernard. I wanted somebody who offered you guard center flexibility, who gave you good depth now in 2022, who also could have potentially beaten out Bates for a starting guard spot or at worst sits and learns. And then next year takes over for Roger Saffold, potentially if Saffold doesn't come back, I just think it's a little risky to go with the interior grouping they have at the guard positions right now, similar to, you know, Darby Allen jumping off that ladder last night onto Jeff Hardy with all those chairs on AEW dynamite. Like it's just a spot that it could work and it looks good and it's flashy at times, but it's just not the safest route to go. (laughs) See, this is what I love. Your dulcet tone, like you just, you're talking, you're talking, your your voice, and then you just slide in this thing that just, it takes it a second. It's like, wait, what is he talking? Oh, no, it's another wrestling thing. But you're halfway into it by the time I realize what just happened to me. I think that's why it's so frustrating. That's what I appreciate about it the most. Uh, I got to pat myself on the back. That's what I love about it. To be able to continue, (laughs) to be able to continue speaking and see your face for the slow realization, because you're not to your point, you're nodding <laughs> along like, yep, just like Darby Allen. Wait a minute. Oh, damn it. And I can just see the the focus uh, turn to rage. Oh, chef's kiss. Uh, so offensive line overall, though, again, if you're talking about our corollaries, I think we've got a better situation than the I mean, the Patriots, they're trading away their best players. Mm. Uh, you're talking about the Miami Dolphins. You're talking about the Jets who haven't had an offensive line in three mm. years. I think that we're doing relatively well, mm-hmm. at least by divisional standards. Very true. The running back group. Mm. This is one we talked about a lot in the run up to the draft is a place where the Bills could add firepower. And they did, but not in the form that I think we all assumed they might. Because they had their shot. They had their shining moment where they could have said, listen, we're going to plant the flag and we're going to take the best running back on the board. And they opted not to. They addressed a more practical need, we'll call it. And then the running back kind of run came. And they bring in James Cook, who is going to be worked in as a weapon for the offense. But I think the bulk of the carries, the true between the tackle work, the I don't know. I think that if you're looking at how many t- 
touches each one of these players is going to get, it's still going to be skewed towards Singletary and Moss. Although I think it's worth noting, Duke Johnson did flash a little bit in 2021. And that could be someone to watch in camp. I mean, depending on whether Moss is, we talked a lot about that Mike Silver piece over at Bally Sports. Bean was very candid about the fact that Moss did not come back as well from his surgery as they anticipated. They think there was some extra time off and some extra, I don't know, reps, rehab, that he'll be able to cut and do some of the things that they expect from him and that he could push for the starting job here. But Duke Johnson's an interesting piece. Even though we missed out on one of those top-tier rookies, is there anybody who's actually upset about our running back stable right now? I'm not. I I mean, I would have loved Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker was my RB1. I would have loved Kenneth Walker. Um, I also would have, been happy, would have been happy waiting a little more and taking Rashad White from Arizona State or a, a bevy of other running backs. But no, I think, again, similar to kind of what we talked about with some of the defensive groupings, there's there's piece piecemeal and patchwork pieces in this running back group. You don't have any one person who is holistically do it all, three down running back prototype, so on and so forth. And that's okay. Like you can still mix and match with the different skill sets and traits that the Bills running backs offer you. The only thing I really worry about is if they get too siloed with those running backs, does it start to give away tendency? to the defense do they realize oh james cook is in there it's definitely going to be a pass or you know moss is in there it's either going to be a run or he's probably in there just to pass protect and they're still going to pass like any type anything Mm -hmm. with that but i do like the pick of james cook i think he's going to be a real threat as a weapon and i see him getting a decent amount of touches every game um because of the dynamic that he offers so I feel pretty good about everything so far in the offense but then you get to the wide receiver group and that's one where everybody goes oh the bills are fine Right. They're great. I think that they have, again, we talk about being top heavy in terms of talent. You've got Stefan Diggs, who back to back thousand yard seasons. He's you know, he led the NFL in receiving his first year here. He proved it wasn't a fluke last year by being just dynamite. But then you look at the rest of this depth chart and you say, OK, we've beaten our listeners to death with the stats showing that Gabe Davis is more impactful when you play him in between the hashes than on the outside. Then you look at the rest of the depth chart behind the two of them and you say, okay, I I see a whole bunch of slot receivers and I don't see a single X anywhere to be found. It's Bueller, Bueller. And this is where Khalil Shakir is interesting to me. And because everyone says, oh, he's a slot receiver. He's a natural slot fit. He's this, he's that. When you look at his RAS scorecard, He's got amazing get off. He's got some speed. They talk about how he can defeat press a little bit. He's got some moves that he, if he can get ahead of steamer, if you can't touch him at the line, he's got a little bit of savvy to gear up after contact that he can still use to create separation. To me, that almost said, but then you look at his three cone and his agility drills and he actually scored pretty poorly. To me, that almost sounds like he'd be kind of a fit for that outside boundary receiver role off the line. What do you think about that? And what do you think about what he brings to try to round out this group ahead of the season? Just going off of the numbers for him in college uh, career, 62% of his snaps came in the slot and about 34% came out wide. He's got experience lined up outside. And, you know, you mentioned some of the things that lend itself to him being successful in the slot, but also outside the release package is number one, his ability to get clean and get clear at the line of scrimmage using his hands and his agility and his feet. Um, He's got a really good release package and coming off the line of scrimmage. And you add that in with, 
him being a really savvy and detailed route runner, he's he's got a high football intelligence when you watch him on the tape. You watch him sell routes with body lean and pacing and different gears and his ability to separate and detach at multiple points in the route stem. It's it's really a beautiful thing. Like he's a very quality route runner. The only question as far as him going on the outside is going to be because you know he's not small he's 5'11 196 pounds he's not as tiny as everybody thinks he is he does have shorter arms and his vertical isn't the best and so i think he can live on the outside at some point he's got the potential to but we're gonna have to really see him work against starting caliber nfl corners with their type of length and size and speed and their jam technique and see how he functions in that world but Overall, I think he's a quality piece. I think by the end of the year, he could be dominating the slot snaps for this Bills offense because he is that good. He's got good speed. You know, he runs a low 4-4, but he's not hes not a burner. He's able to get vertical and win vertically because of his route running and his short area burst and his nuance, and then he's able to turn on the Jets a little bit. And then, you know, you mentioned some of the run-after-catch stuff. When he gets the ball in his hands – He's like a running back. He's shifty. He's elusive. He's physical. He's mean. He's competitive. He does not go down unless you take him down. I think he offers a dynamic, again, much like James Cook, a dynamic the Bills offense didn't previously have. I think he fits in real well. And I do I do look forward to seeing what his evolution looks like and seeing if he can offer some versatility on the outside in addition to the inside. That brings us to the one group that really just keeps me up at night. Like if we're being honest in, and it's not a critical thing. I mean, when you look around the NFL, there's teams that get away with it. There's teams that say, listen, I think Greg Thompson's the one who keeps trying to drill it in my head. There is no perfect roster in the NFL. If you're going to have warts anywhere, you want it to be in places that won't kill you. The tight end group. Mm. Everyone's thrilled about OJ Howard. Me, listen, listen, roll tide guy over here. You see me fist pumping the, the, the Clemson killer himself. He's here and I couldn't be happier about it. He's also not the most durable player in the entire world, which means that when you look at our tight end depth chart, you're talking about OJ Howard, Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney, Quentin Morris, and Jalen Weitermeyer, who scored one of the lowest RAS scores of all time. He got a 1.0. Like I've heard, like everyone used to get on Orlando Brown for having one of the worst combines ever. Wittermeyer might have beat him out in terms of his pro day performance and just how he did. He looked like one of the most athletic people, that unathletic people to ever set foot on a football field. And that's counting me the time at training camp when I just walked out onto the fucking field. And there was no ropes. Nobody told me that I couldn't walk across the 50. I saw Ryan Lacell from Rock Sports. I saw people I knew. I'm looking around going, hey, it's not that big a deal. I'll just meander over there. Not thinking, right? And then as I start walking, I'm like, I'll get a picture of Growney Stadium out here at training camp. And I turn around and I'm taking a picture of the building. And two gorillas ran out and just were like, you can't be here. And just accosted me off the field. I, <laughs> I set foot on an NFL field for 30 seconds. I might be just as athletic as Jalen Weidermeyer. Man. Now, maybe that's the tequila talking, but <laughs> but I bet you I could run the same three cone he put up. So with that said, I look at this group and I say, if O.J. Howard gets hurt, I don't know who the hell is stepping in his tight end to. We don't have one. What do you, Are you as worried about the depth behind Dawson Knox as I am? 
if the bills are planning on using a significant amount of 12 personnel, then yes, because then you're banking on two tight ends staying healthy. If they're just going with one, then it's like, okay, we just have to make sure Knox is okay. And then after him, okay, let's just make sure Howard is okay. Cause you're only using one tight end. But obviously if you're using more two tight end sets, you need to have two functional tight ends and then you need to have more depth behind them because if they're both seeing more snaps, just because they're playing more on the field, they're naturally increasing their odds of potentially getting hurt or something potentially happening to them because they are on the field and putting themselves in harm's way more because they're on the field. I don't mind Tommy Sweeney. I don't even mind Weidermeyer. I know the RAS score is deep in everyone's brain and the slow 40 is there as well, but he's got some impressive tape at times and he leaves with a successful track record statistically at Texas A&M and being the franchise leader for them in touchdown receptions for a tight end. And he's been very productive in the red zone. He's got some things that you can offer or that he can offer the team. Um, Quentin Morris was a cool guy who I liked last year. I'm interested to see what he does this year. But I think, yeah, if you're looking at this position grouping, you're hoping that O.J. Howard, you know, that reclamation project starts to turn and he maybe potentially captures some of that upside that he was viewed as having coming out of Alabama. And then maybe he started to recover fully from the injuries now that he's more years removed and he starts to round out into that player that you hoped he could be. But I also thought tight end was a sneaky position that the Bills could have gone after in rounds two, three, or four, just because is OJ Howard going to be on the team next year with his one-year deal? Are they going to be able to afford Dawson Knox next year? Is he going to come back? We'd all like him to, but can the Bills you know, afford him from a brass tax perspective? So it would have been cool to see a depth piece added to the tight end grouping for support this year and the potential future of next year. But yeah, I think there is a sneaky concern for tight end that people aren't really considering because the assumption is just like, well, we got Knox and OJ, but if something happens to one of them, a lot, a lot of questions come into play, especially if the Bills are trying to use more two tight end sets and then it becomes, okay, does Reggie Gilliam become more of a focus because he's that fullback tight end hybrid? Do you have to kick him out into more tight end? Do they use more of those H back or F type roles and looks for Reggie Gilliam like they did towards the back end of last year. So I think there's some ways that they can patch it together. Um, but there is a question amongst the depth of that grouping. Yes. Overall, our offense, <clears throat> like I said at the top, I still believe that this is a group that can put on a show, right? And the NFL seems to agree with the way the leaks are coming out about the schedule and what the, mm-hmm. what, the, and I think most of that has to do with our quarterback, right? Like, yeah, at, adding a running back to this team, adding a wide receiver high in the draft, signing a name in free agency wouldn't have changed the fact that everyone was going to look at the Buffalo Bills as one of the most exciting offenses in football. Mm -hmm. And I think that regardless of what came out of the draft and free agency period this year, they still have the bones of a team that can make good on a lot of that. Don't they? Oh, most definitely. And I think they've also got, I think there's also a feel good, nature to the Buffalo Bills. I think with how Josh Allen was treated after the Bills lost that game to the Chiefs, the Bills have become that team, I think, nationally that people respect because of Josh Allen and the talent. But they also kind of like felt bad for Josh Allen because he played so well in defeat that it was one of those like, oh man, like this guy's becoming a star because of his talent and because of the story that's behind it. And I think the NFL wants to capitalize on that and They've got the feel-good story. They've got the on-field product to boot. So, yeah, put them in front of as many eyes as possible. And then what also helps is, you know, like we're talking about Josh Allen, quarterbacks are sexy. They're what drive the primetime matchups. And it also helps that the Bills play a ton of really good quarterbacks this year. And so you've just got all those stories of, oh, my God, like 
Allen versus Stafford, Allen versus Mahomes, Allen versus Lamar Jackson, Allen versus uh, Deshaun Watson, potentially, if he plays, even though he's a horrible human being and shouldn't be allowed to play football or do anything because he's got off. <laughs> There's a lot of potential sexy storylines that all center around Josh Allen because of who he is and because of his on-field productivity. So when we take a step back and we look at what's to come, because obviously there's still there's there's still moves to be made. You know, we're still not at 90 players. We still have time to add before camp. And when you look at the free agent landscape, I've never seen one that looks like this mm. ever. Right, we'll start with the wide receiver market. Ahead of the draft, we talked about how this draft could be affected by the demands of wide receivers in the NFL. They essentially did what the U.S. housing market has been doing ever since COVID started. Skyrocketing in sticker price, terms are becoming more difficult to negotiate, and it leaves the buyers still feel like they're getting screwed, even though they got the thing that they wanted. So those postulations kind of bore out, as you saw, early runs on wide receivers, as well as a trade and draft by the Titans, Basically trading away one of their star players for a player who looks like, uh, I don't know, Chris, what, what do we, I kept calling him Walmart LaVisca Chenault. Walmart uh, Traylon Burks. Yeah. Yeah. Like you traded away one of the star players on your team. One of the only offensive weapons you have besides your running back that's established himself. You got rid of him for a rookie just because you had interim negotiations with the guy and didn't like what you heard. That speaks to how this wide receiver market is, but it's also had an effect in the free agent wide receiver market. I mean, that's the only way to explain what I'm seeing, because right now this has to be the biggest glut of veteran talent on the market following any draft in my lifetime. There's 14 players out there who are more than 29 years old of them. Two of them had at least 30 first downs. Four of them had either equal to or more than three touchdowns. We're talking about productive older players, veterans, who generally speaking have a team, the Cole Beasleys, the Jarvis Landrys. I don't know. I, we talked about the Bills is presently constructed are lacking a little bit at the wide receiver position. I, are there any receivers out there that are interesting to you in terms of the Buffalo Bills? Should the franchise share my concerns with their roster makeup? There's a free agent out there, Cole Beasley. I really like him. I think he could be a good fit. Um, love to see if they kick the tires on him. No, but I. How many slot receivers do we need? Apparently, <laughs> a lot. Um, I. It, it depends on the injury piece. Like, there's. I'd love to take a stab at Julio because I think he's still got some Julio in him. And if you don't have to rely on him to be Julio, that would be fantastic. Will Fuller is a name that comes to mind because of the deep threat and the speed. I think that is like a perfect fit given how he could stretch the field vertically and what the bills could use. But obviously he carries with him that consistent injury concern where he just like, if the wind blows strong, he gets hurt. And it's always just, it's not just like, Oh yeah. Like he twisted his ankle. He'll be okay. It's like, no, his leg fell off and he's done for the entire year. Like it's just so consistent. T Y Hilton is also an interesting one. I think he's still got some miles left on the tires that you can get use out of. And if you're working him in with this top heavy group, the bills have, he can still get vertical a little bit. Um, those would be the big names for me. I'd also even consider, I don't know if think he'd fit from a culture perspective, but Deshaun Jackson, again, just a cheap burner flyer who can get vertical. Uh, but I don't think, again, like he gets hurt and his productivity hasn't been there. And then again, I think the Bills culture is so much to them. I don't think he fits from an off the field locker room kind of perspective. Um, but there is, I mean, there's, it's crazy just like looking at the list of how many 
you're not getting there's not like number one wide receivers available but there's some like potentially low end two middle end three wide receivers that are available and considering we're this late in the process some teams are going to be able to cash in as we get towards training camp what do you think about emmanuel sanders i bring him back technically he's still out there like i think technically he's still on the team's payroll it's like an option thing i don't know if they voided that just for cap purposes but it's interesting that he was saying like if i come back i'm going to come back for buffalo so it's just interesting to me that there's really no talk about him at all you google his name and you look at the news it's like the guy he recently went back and honored demarius thomas i know that that was a big thing for him like him and Demarius Thomas were very close. Yeah. And so his death really rattled Sanders. And a part of me doesn't wonder, like, you know what I mean? Like football's, everyone likes to think of it as Madden. These guys are people, right? Stuff happens and it affects people in different ways. I'm just wondering if there isn't an avenue for him making it back to football and making it back to the Buffalo Bills at some point this season. Because I think bringing him back would make me feel a whole lot better about this depth chart. It really would. Um, in terms of defensive veterans, it's not quite as egregious as the wide receiver group, but there's still a ton of trench talent that's out there. And I'm scratching my head wondering why. I, half the reason Jerry Hughes wasn't signed was because no one knew where to value him. Based on all the other more accomplished defensive ends, they're still out there looking for a place to play. Jason Pierre-Paul, and Dom Kinsue, Carlos Dunlap, Akeem Hicks. These guys are all highly accomplished trench warriors and they're out there without a football team. What is driving that? Well, what do you, what do you think is going on there? I think a lot of it is scheme fit and what teams are trying to use these guys for and what their past productivity has been. And I think also age is going to be a factor. If you look at like the guys you just mentioned, they're on the quote unquote, like wrong side of 30. If you're looking at it and then you add injury concerns and things on top of it. Sue has been a weird one in general as well. Like he's had so much talent, but he just keeps bouncing around on one year deals like he can't seem to be locked up like so I feel like there's maybe something under or behind the curtain that we don't potentially know but I think a lot of it is just well, I mean if you told me he was an asshole and nobody liked him I'd believe it oh I think <laughs> I mean I think that's true even without being told that like he doesn't seem like the greatest guy maybe he's a great teammate but uh as a it's like Richie Incognito you like him when he's on your team but overall I mean I, I know people who couldn't stand that guy yeah both he publicly privately just it doesn't seem like a he doesn't seem like a great fit for several teams and a lot of teams in general. But the the market that's there, they're all veteran guys. So I think it's peep it's players that are either waiting to like what we mentioned at the top of the show. Like I don't want to have to go through this offseason and OTAs and all this crap. I'm gonna wait to sign. Or it's also part of, you know, teams are just trying to maybe wait it out because these guys are older and they're all kind of lumped into this one bucket together. So it's like, all right, which guy fits a little bit? Maybe we're waiting for an injury to happen to one of our guys that we really need um, to go out and sign one of these players. But I think it all comes down to age, uh, past productivity, and then these guys even potentially kind of waiting it out for themselves so they don't have to go through the whole rigmarole of the offseason. So Jadavian Clowney. Oh He's one of the guys that doesn't make any any sense to me whatsoever. Um, it, like, it, to me, he's that living, breathing version of that meme about, like, you ask your mom for a McDonald's cheeseburger, and because she's a cheapskate, she goes, we got burgers at home. You know, we got McDonald's at home. And then you get home, and instead of a Happy Meal, you've got Kool-Aid and a burger on white bread on a paper plate. Oh. Some poor bastard out there right now with the title head coach in the NFL went to his GM this offseason and said, I need a pass rusher. I need a great defensive end to make my system work. 
And because they were cheap, well, the Bills were out there landing Von Miller as the silver tuna. Mm. One of these guys is going to show up for training camp and find out that his GM went and got him the half-assed version of a dominant defensive end talent in Jadavian Clown. <laughs> like, what is the deal with this guy? Why does nobody want to pay him? It's just the inconsistency from snap to snap. Sometimes it's there and you see those dominant flashes that you saw at South Carolina and you saw in high school, but he just hasn't consistently been there from a pass rush perspective and a run stopping perspective. Like he's, he, he just has inconsistency in his snaps and it's big inconsistencies. And you see it again from team to team. The fact that he has been bouncing around similar to Sue from team to team and has had multiple opportunities in multiple schemes and has gotten significant snap shares on these teams. And he has yet to find a consistent home. I think it all also maybe ties back to some of the off the field concerns that there were for him, not from like a character perspective, but just from an overall like work ethic perspective and how his game was going to translate and progress in the NFL. And I think that makes sense when you see him on tape and see what he does, you just don't see the effort and the technique consistently from him, which when you do see it, it's amazing when he blows by a tackle and just gets into the backfield in the second and a half, you're like, boom, there's the JV on Clowney. And the next play you see him just come out of his stance and stand up and get blown off the line of scrimmage. And you're like, Oh, there's also Jadavion Clowney. And I think teams see that and they're not willing to pay what he's asking for. That's also a part of it too. Right. A lot of these guys oh, for are sure. still there. They're asking for dollars that they're maybe not going to get. And he's been pretty, Every time he's been a free agent, he always seems to be on the wrong end of the asking price. Like he just seems to be so astronomically high compared to what teams are going to offer him, whether it's which I term. think is hilarious. It's like a yes. guy not being able to read the room. He can't read the it's, room. And I, I put that it, on his agent too. Like talk to your boy and let him know to be realistic because he's not getting the years and the money that he's looking for. Help him out. Do your job. So as we close the show, I'm going to lightning round this thing. All I want from you and Chris is a yay or nay. If you can follow my logic here, there's a, three names that I think would make sense for the Buffalo Bills. And if if we do it, Chris, you have to if they if the Bills sign one of these guys, Chris, you agree to drink a Seagram's? Depends who it is. Okay. First one, linebacker AJ Klein. No. Of all the linebackers who got signed this offseason, twenty two of them got more than two mil. Uh of the ones who received less than that, but more than one point one, none of them are the same age as Klein. He's literally older than the entire field of <laughs> linebackers who got signed. We have a need. If Klein isn't ready to hang him up, I think him coming back to at a vet minimum would make a lot of sense. Uh, running back Justin Jackson. He's a RAS monster in terms of speed and agility metrics. Uh, he's crazy. He brings receiving skill. He brings rushing ability. I don't know why he's not used more in the Chargers offense, but if you felt the Bills running back room needed some pop, you could bring him in as a running back just to challenge for a job. The fact that he's still out there right now. Yay or nay? Nay for me, especially if, if they hadn't hit- – if they didn't have Duke Johnson and didn't draft James Cook, I would be on the yay. Uh, we scouted him earlier in the year and liked his fit, but I'm going to say nay. Nay. Okay. Uh, Daryl Williams. You just talked about how, y'all. Oh, I hope Spencer Brown takes a step forward because we need this. We need that. Daryl Williams is out there without a job. I would like to see him back on the offensive line as a swing piece because we know he can do the job. And tight end Jesse James. He was a free agent crush of mine the last time he was available back in 2019. The Bills decided to draft Dawson Knox instead. When you look at Jesse James, he's done every like he can receive, he can run block, he can do all kinds of things. Yay or nay, are you willing to put a Seagrams on the Bills addressing their tight end depth issues, Chris? No. 
Anthony, you want to get in the ring with me on this? I would yay to both of those moves. I would take Jesse James and I would also take Daryl Williams. And obviously cheaper, short-term men deals, yes. For our listeners out there, who would you like to see the Bills sign? Tweet us at Rock Power Report. Let us know before training camp. We're going to discuss it next week, but for tonight, it's a gorgeous night. I'm out here with half a shirt on, like the macho man Randy Savage, just flexing. And I'm going to go enjoy And that is why we don't pay for Zoom. The show caught off there. Follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. But for tonight, it's been a quarantine podcast, and we got to get the fuck out of here. I'm Chris Krueger. No one else is in the room. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.